Amen. Thank you, Jonathan and worship team. Wow, awesome. Thank you. Uh, many times before I, I give a message, I, I tell the worship leader what I'm going to talk about, and uh, without fail, uh, Jonathan has picked the correct songs, and you'll see why uh, in our response song, but, but also the first two songs, three songs today. Uh, as Craig said, I am, I am Rick Ayers. I'm one of your elders, and it is a pleasure for me to always come and speak to the good people of Foothills. Uh, there's uh, maybe six or eight people in, in the sanctuary right now, all social distancing by uh, many feet. So they're all following protocol. We hope to be back as a church body real soon, uh, hopefully in the next couple weeks. Uh, your kids here and everything else. That's what we're working towards. So uh, it's way better for me uh, to see your friendly faces in person and um, just fellowship with you all. So I appreciate the worship team for staying around and Pastor Craig and Roger and Michelle and the guys in the booth. So uh, thanks for being here. Of course, my, my wife, Lori. Um, the message last week, one of the things I so appreciated was Craig giving that message. Uh, I talked to Craig after and I said, boy, you know, you gave me some, some things out of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and... Uh, Jesus walking on water that I hadn't heard before, and it made me think, like Peter's prayer, save me when he stood out of the boat. Uh, Craig said to me, yeah, uh, that was a very difficult passage. And I said, why, brother? And he said, uh, everybody's heard those messages. Everybody's heard the messages of Jesus walking on the water. Everyone's heard the messages of G Jesus feeding the 5,000. You can go on the internet and find hundreds, if not thousands, of messages but our brother brought us something that uh, spoke to me in a mighty way, and I appreciate you for that, Craig. Uh, today's a little different. Matthew 15. You don't hear a lot about this unless you're going through a series. Uh, people don't just pop up and say, hey, let's talk about offending the Pharisees, or let's talk about convicting the people of our church. And uh, uh, Roger handed this one to me, and I am the great convictor, so uh, I also like to be convicted on Scripture. In fact, when I was a brand new Christian, which um, I do want to share, two weeks from today, September 13th, 1990, is, is when I gave that prayer, the same one Peter did when he got out of the boat and he started to drift and he doubted and he sank and he looked at the Lord and he said, what? Save me. So 30 years ago in two weeks, I got on my knees and I said to the Lord, save me. And he did. And uh, through many years of sanctification, here I am today with a, a work in progress. And as Roger gave me this message uh, about the heart, I wondered, uh, he doesn't know me well enough to know that, that God gave him that on purpose, and, uh, because this is something I need to work on, and I work on all the time. Uh, and I, I think you will too, once you hear what Jesus has to say. Uh, this is a tough one. I, we don't mean to offend, but we do hope to convict uh, my early Christian brothers, uh, when we lived in Oceanside, said to me, Rick, when you find a church, when you find a Bible-teaching church, if you're sitting there for six or eight weeks and you haven't been convicted, go to another church because the gospel is convicting. And if you're just hearing uh, uh, self-help talk, move on. And Lori and I have moved on from churches that, that are big about self-help or big about pandering, as Roger mentioned uh, many weeks ago. So I titled this message, The Clash and the Collision. Did I do the slides right? Did I? Are we good? Oh, there it is. Hey, that's me. Uh, please turn your Bibles to, I'm going all techno. I'm trying to be woke at 60 years old. So uh, I've got an iPad for my Bible, never done this before. And I got my own clicker, which I use at work. And uh, uh, hopefully it works with this system, and I think it will. But we have Cindy on the backup. But I called this The Clash and the Collision, which is, Matthew 15. We're going to go only verses 1 through 20. And there's three parts to this message. The first part is religious ceremonialism. That's a seven-syllable word. I'm a public school kid. It took me a while to figure that out. Costa Mesa High, class of 78. Yay, Mustangs. Um, religious ceremonialism versus following Christ. That's part one. Part two is internal pollution or defilement, as it says in Scripture. And part three is really by way of application to honor our, our uh, former pastor, Brad Fogel, by way of application, 
now what? So we're going to give you some ideas on that. So the clash and the collision, as Craig mentioned in his prayer, uh, it really sounds like today, doesn't it? It sounds like the world. Uh, you look out, and, it, and it's a world in Kenosha or Portland or Seattle or Chicago or Washington, D.C. We don't live in here in South Orange County. And, and it just it, it doesn't look like us as a country. And it's definitely not us as a community. And although this isn't a political message, many of my friends have said, uh, I think the world's never been this crazy. And I say, really? You think? I think it has. When we think back to the Old Testament um, in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, I think the world was a little crazier than it is now. Or the Roman Empire, where you look at the Roman Empire and, and where pedophilia and homosexuality and, and just Nero burning Christians at, within pitch, lighting them, uh, lighting them on fire so they could light the walks. They were alive when he did it. We don't have that yet. And God accomplished that uh, great awakening for us. And I pray daily now for a great awakening uh, for the United States of America, and I hope you do too. But today, one of the things I want to start with is, uh, so we'll make sure I do this right, part one, Matthew 15, please read with me, verses 1 through 9. And Matthew says, the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break tradition with the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he, Jesus, answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, uh, what you would have gained from me is given to God. They need not honor his father and mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word or void the commandment or void the law of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesize of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but in their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. You know, uh, this is an interesting message as I dove into Matthew 15, and we've heard of hypocrites before all throughout Matthew, and Jesus really goes hard after the hypocrites. Um, contextually, I want you to understand uh, the word hypocrite is the Greek word for actor. So when they acted in, in, in the Greek times or in the Greek cities, they wore masks, and it was their different characters. We call them actors today. They wear makeup, and they look different. You know, Brad Pitt isn't who he plays on the screen, and uh, if that was the case, he would have went off the cliff with Thelma and Louise, uh, or maybe he didn't. Um, George Clooney's not really that person. He's acting. Jason Bourne, Matthew Damon, cannot really kill 100 people with his bare hands. Okay, those are actors. But see, actors in the terms of what Jesus is talking about is different than what our context is today. Um, what Jesus is talking about is you're hypocrites. You are not really who you act or who you say you are. You're really acting. You say one thing and your actions do another. And that's where this, where this term comes from. Roger spoke a few weeks ago about religion versus relationship. And um, religion, it is written, is man's attempt to get to God. You think of traditions. You think of our brothers and sisters at the Catholic Church, when they're stuck on the tradition, they often say tradition and scripture are the same. That's just not true. That's not biblical. In the Protestant Christian church, we're not, we're not devoid of that. I grew up Lutheran. Many traditions. Okay? Um, the free Methodists have traditions. The Methodists have traditions. The, the reason there's so many denominations is because people don't don't disagree many times on the Word of God, but they disagree on how to go about it. We went to a free Methodist church in Michigan uh, for four years when we lived there in 92 to 96, and there was a, a guy I really liked. His brother was an elder at the church, and, and I would say, Jim, come to church. I, I just love hanging out with you, and he said, I can't because I smoke. I said, what? And I, he said, well, I smoke. I'm not allowed to be a member or even attend. I said, Jim, that's ridiculous. I went to the pastor who became a friend of mine, and he said, 
what would you do, Rick? That's, that's our tradition. And I said, put an ashtray in the, in the lobby so he can put it out before he walks in. Well, no, we know he smokes. That's, that's not biblical at all. And this is where Jesus was going after people. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Relationship with Jesus is God's attempt to get to your heart. And we're looking for a relationship. The Pharisees in Jerusalem, when we look at verse 1, now this is really important. When you take uh, uh, Matthew 15, and I started to dig into it, and when you start looking at the commentaries and the history, what happens is you start peeling it like an onion, and things just get deeper and deeper and deeper. So this one here, the Pharisees from Jerusalem. Now let's remember from Craig's message, they were on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had just walked on water. And he went from Capernaum, where he fed the 5,000 according to, to historical context, and he was going down to a town called Gennesaret, which was about 30 miles maybe southwest of where Capernaum was on the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee, you have to understand, um, when you go to Israel, it's really a big lake. All right, it's not like the Pacific Ocean or the Mediterranean Sea. It's a big lake. It's actually fresh water. They just call it the Sea of Galilee. So uh, as some of you that had been there, like Lori and I have, you looked at it and you were almost disappointed a little bit. But the weather was so different there. It's, it's stuck in a pocket where you could get great storms, like Craig talked about, um, when a storm came up and Jesus comes and calms the storm. So they go down to Gennesaret. Jerusalem is 100 miles away by foot, unless they took an Uber. I don't think they had that. So these guys, they didn't take the Pharisees from Gennesaret. They didn't even take the Pharisees from Capernaum to come down and challenge Jesus. They brought in the big boys. They brought in the part, people from the Sanhedrin. And so when you read this, and it says he brought them from Jerusalem, they weren't the local dudes. They were the big guns. They needed to take this Jesus down. And they asked him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And you're like, wow, he's, he's got to answer that. They didn't ask him, Jesus, why do you break tradition? Or why do your disciples break God's law? They were more concerned about their own man-made traditions. They tried to go after the people that Christ loved the most, the disciples. Many times that happens to us. So somebody wants to say something to you, and what they'll do is they'll say something to your kids, about your kids. Hey, you know, your kids aren't really well-behaved. What they're saying is you're not a good parent. Okay? You ever happen? Right? I know Roger and Michelle, that still happens to you today. I'm sorry. Um, but what happens is when people want to hurt you, what they'll do is when they know they can't hurt you, they'll hurt those closest to you. And that's what these Pharisees were doing to Jesus. Why do your disciples do this? So how does Jesus answer? See, they were going after the ritual hand-washing. Mark 7 is a parallel to Matthew 15. And in Mark 7, it says, they, the Pharisees, saw that some of the disciples ate with their hands and were defiled. Whoa, wait a minute. What were they going after? They were going after a ritual that they hadn't done. This example of hand-washing is, isn't what we're talking about today. Again, with Scripture, you have to, two things you have to really understand. Three, really, don't proof text. Don't take a verse like the prayer of Jabez and own it, because that's not written to you. That frustrates the heck out of me when somebody gets a, a, a bumper sticker and it says, prayer of Jabez, or, um, which Bruce Wilkinson made, sold 10 million books. That wasn't written to Christians. It was written to the Jews in that time. It has nothing to do with us. Okay? The other thing is when we, when we uh, take Scripture out of historical context. Oh, you know, Paul had slaves. Oh, no. Moses had slaves. He was an Egyptian ruler. He shouldn't have slaves. Tear down his statue. Historical context, everybody either was a slave or had slaves. Okay? Paul didn't say enough about slavery in the Bible. According to 2020, of course not. But we have to keep it in historical context. The other thing is cultural context. Okay? Why did they do these certain things? Hand washing. We're not talking about COVID-19 doing some, some hand washing and hand sanitizer. This is what they did. They took an eggshell of water, about an eggshell of water, 
and they would drip it down their fingers and it had to drop off on their wrist because it was unclean and then it became clean. And then they would turn the hand over and do the same the other way. Start at the wrist and go down. And they would do it on each hand. Now, then they would rub their hand in their palm. Not once, not twice, three times. And then they said they were ceremonially clean. All right? Well, they did that between each course. So if you had the beginning course, you had to do that. And then they would stop. They didn't use napkins. Okay? They went to the second course. They did the same thing in the third course. They walk up, not knowing anything about what the disciples are doing. They see him eat, and they go, their hands are unclean. It had nothing to do with hygiene. See, if you don't understand the historical context, you can get caught up in that. They were not talking about hygiene. They were saying they were polluted. They were defiled. So Jesus doesn't answer that question. Do you ever notice that? When, when a lot of times when Pharisees ask him a question, he just, Bum. I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about because I'm God. So watch this. He says to him, I'm going to ask you a cutting question. He says, you break the commandment of God in the sake of your tradition. Jesus is differentiating these questions, tradition and elders and commandments in God. So guess which one we go with? Of course, the latter. Jesus is blowing up their world. Your traditions mean nothing. What really matters is the commandments of God, and he drops the hammer on these hypocrites. I love that. I love it, not when he drops it on me, but when he drops it on hypocrites. We love the hammer. And then he shares an actual instance where the Pharisees are playing games with the commandment. And he goes in verse 4, and he says, Honor your father and your mother. Now, historical context, what happened? It's the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. It's not be nice to them like we talk about today. Uh, what it talks about is you take care of them forever. They are your parents. So what would happen is if the father was a farmer and then he would get too old and then the son would take over and then the father would retire or go home or maybe manage things until he died. He didn't go to a retirement home. They didn't have Park Terrace. They didn't have Freedom Village, all right, where they just sent a check and they took care of them. The families took care of them. That was honoring their father and their mother. Every Jew knew that. In Mark 7, they call this the korban, what the Pharisees were about to do. What the Pharisees said to Jesus, is, or what they said to their parents was, well, okay, I've got a big chunk of money over here and I could take care of my parents on that. But you know, I've invoked the Korban. And the Korban is, I've already dedicated this or given this to God. So although I have it in my savings account, I've already dedicated it to God, mom and dad. I can't give it to you. So you're going to starve. And they said that's still honoring the fifth commandment, honoring your mother and your father, which was ridiculous. And Jesus said, you know what? You guys are so ridiculous, you're so pompous, you're so religious, you're twisting the words to get out of the spirit of the law. They didn't even follow their own law. And then Jesus drops another hammer. These Pharisees love their Old Testament prophets. They love Jeremiah and Isaiah and Hosea and these things. And Jesus just pulls a quote out of Scripture. He often says in other parts of the New Testament, uh, it is written, he's talking about, what was written before, that the Pharisees go, oh man, he knows our Bible better than we do. Well, he wrote it, so of course he's going to know it. But he brings up Isaiah, and specifically 29.13, but he brings up Isaiah, something they would have known, and says, this people, the Jews, the Pharisees, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, belief systems, commandments of men. See, Jesus is blowing up their world. Now, you got to understand, when we get to the second part of this, who he was talking to. He was talking to the Pharisees, but who else was in the crowd? So let's go to part two, eternal pollution or defilement is what Scripture talks to it about, uh, mentions it. 
verses 10 through 20, read with me. And he called the And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of a mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father had not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, Both will fall into a pit. And then Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, this does not defile a person. Interesting. Jesus says, hear and understand. He calls the townspeople together. He called the people to him. What people is he talking about? Well, he gets out of the boat. At the end of of Matthew 14, remember, he walked on water and he hitched a ride with these guys. And he got out of the boat. And I'm getting my woke thing down here. I got it. And when they crossed over, the disciples with Jesus, they came to a land of Gennesaret. I mentioned that. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent, they sent around to all the region and brought to him all that were sick. So they'd heard about him, haven't they? And they heard about healing. And they implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. So all of a sudden, Jesus has been healing people. People are touching his garment. And the Pharisees are seeing this. So then they go into Acts and Matthew 15, and this is where we are. He called the people to him, the people of Gennesaret. And the people of Gennesaret are sitting back going, wait a minute, we, we, we've been under the rule of these Pharisees. Well, in Mark 6, 53 through 56, I'll just read this to you. Oh, he said, whenever they came in villages, cities, and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored that they could just touch him. They ran to the whole region screaming of Jesus. And the Pharisees are freaking out. They're losing their power. Don't tell me today's political environment is worse than we've ever seen it. Oh, my goodness. Let's go back to, you know, 30 AD. I mean, that's 2,000 something years ago. Again, public school, I don't, I don't add. But that's, that's where it goes. And, and, and so you look at this, and they were so incensed. They got to get rid of this Jesus because he's taken their power. He's ta- he said, We're in charge. They're looking for the Messiah, sure. He's right there in front of them. And they freak out. Now Jesus says to them, Come closer. And now the Pharisees are going, wait a minute, we got to stop this. But they can't. He says, people come closer. He called them to let him to say, I'm going to explain this to you. So he uses the words hear and understand. All the leaders from Jerusalem are just standing there with their mouths open. See, Jesus understood how difficult it would be for people to go against the religious establishment they grew up with. Some of us grew up in mainline denominations. And all of a sudden... Maybe we read the Bible for ourselves for the first time or we hear the truth for the first time and we're like, wait a minute. I was brought up, Lutheran Church talked the Jews killed Jesus. I was my, my whole life I was brought up, brought up until I was 30 years old. And then I realized, well, the Jews didn't kill Jesus. Sin killed Jesus. And it had to happen that way so he could conquer death, rise, and save the rest of us. Well, see, it wasn't hard. We didn't have to add all this stuff into it as a lot of mainline denominations do. What, what, what you do is it's, it's very simple, the gospel message, message. The birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You believe in him and follow him. I love it when people say, well, you know, he's a believer. Well, Satan's a believer. All right? It says right here in Scripture, Satan believes more than we do. 
because he's lived with him. He's fought him every step of the way. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ, not just a believer? We'll get into that a little more. Jesus knew the greatest stumbling block to salvation was always the gospel truth. Um, It still is today. You go share with someone who's religious, who may have gone to their church for years, taken First Communion, gone to their catechism classes, and, and, or somebody in the Mormon church, somebody in the Jehovah, a Jehovah Witness, and you sit down and explain this to them, and they can't get their head around it. I've never heard that. That's not what I was taught. And that's where the Pharisees were today. They were sitting in this day. They were sitting there, and they were going, we've taught them something different. And Jesus, right out of his mouth, said, I know this is going to be difficult, but this is the truth, so I want you to hear and understand. And then he shares an an illustration about pollution and defilement, about eating unclean animals according to Old Testament traditions. We find that in Leviticus 11. How many of you guys follow Leviticus 11? If you're at home, raise your hand. Okay, good. Ralph, you're back there. Okay, I can see you guys at home. No spiritual or moral contamination can result in what we eat. Physical contamination, amen. That's what in and outs all about. Okay? But no moral, no spiritual contamination uh, can happen by what you eat. We put it in our mouths, and that's what was being taught by the Pharisees. Jesus was saying what matters is your heart and your soul. It is the evil in your heart that proceeds out of the mouth. That is what makes a person unclean. The Old Testament, which is the Old Covenant. Do you know the word testament means covenant? And the New Testament means the New Covenant? We are bound as Christians, as followers of Christ, by the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant. The Ten Commandments were important for the Jews, and it was the starting point. Jesus said, I didn't come to to, uh, break the law, I came to fulfill it. Jesus is the fulfillment, and we'll read that in Hebrews here in a second, of the Old Covenant. Jesus doesn't like, or God doesn't like religious ceremony unless it comes with a pure heart and you come in the right way. But that had to be shocking for all the Jews in attendance. Mark states in Mark 7 that Jesus just declared all foods clean. I mean, these Jews are freaking out. To this day, uh, Hasidic Jews will, will not eat certain foods. Uh, because of religious ceremony. Um, the dietary laws of the Jews were sacred. No pigs means no bacon. I mean, how do we get by with no bacon? No pigs, no touching dead animals, no touching any Gentile, and don't go anywhere near a woman who was menstruating because they're all unclean. Don't go anywhere near them. They were all external traditions, which is the mark of every false religion. Little truth wrapped around a lot of false And all of a sudden, they get inside and they start changing your heart. See, Peter struggled with this even after Christ's resurrection. Um, Acts 10, God reveals to Peter once and for all in the dream, Peter, all foods are clean. Go, kill, eat. Not go, eat, pray. It's go, kill, eat. That was the first one. And you know, it's funny, talk about hypocrisy, Peter. Poor Peter. Peter gets rebuked denying Christ three times. Peter gets rebuked on the boat. Peter gets rebuked when he asks this stupid question. Peter gets rebuked in Act 10. Peter gets rebuked in Galatians 2. When Paul shows up and Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles, eating, and all of a sudden James, the brother of Jesus, who was a Jew, comes up and sees Peter. And what Peter does? Gets up off the table and walks over here. No, no, I'm with the Jews. I'm with the Jews. No, I'm not with them hypocrisy. And Paul sees that, and he comes in and hammers Peter and rebukes him. See, Peter struggled. Oh, wait, none of us do. None of us struggle with that. Um, But the book of Leviticus is where it all started, right? Nowhere in the book of Leviticus or the book of Deuteronomy or anything in the Torah states that circumcision, ceremonial washing, refraining from certain foods, although prescribed by God, could save a person from their sin. It was more of a boundary to say, hey, I know you're not going to be the ultimate sacrifice. I'm sending that to you. But these are boundaries for your obedience. And the Jews kept walking around the desert 40 years, another lap. Just keep taking a lap, another lap. 
One commentary stated that the entire book of Hebrews is really a commentary on the book of Leviticus, talking about they were pictures of the complete sacrifice of Christ on the cross. They weren't there to replace it. Jesus was there to replace those pictures. And in Hebrews 10, let me share with you, and it just, it was amazing to me when I started unpeeling this onion. Jesus, uh, Hebrews 10, 1 through 14. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw, draw near. Those sacrifices were temporary, is what Hebrews is saying. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any con consciousness of sin? It wasn't past, present, and future sin when you sacrificed an animal. But with Jesus, he did it once and for all. Verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there are a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It is written in the scroll of the book. And then down on verse 10, and by that we have been fully sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 14, by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You know, the Jews back in those days when they sacrificed their goats or their, or their bulls or their cows or their doves or whatever, they always said, give your best, give your first fruits. That's how it started out. You have 10 cattle and you take your best one and you sacrifice it because the Lord has provided. And then what they started doing was say, well, that one's got a broken leg anyway. Let's just give him that one. And see, it doesn't take long for mankind to start diminishing what the Lord wants. And we say, we'll just give you our leftovers. Craig asked, uh, asked about tithes and offerings. Um, you know, Scripture teaches we're not bound by the 10th anymore but we are bound by our first fruits. The first money we make goes to the Lord. We try to teach our kids, first you pay the Lord, second you pay for themselves, third, the rest is yours. But it's all God's. It's all God's money. When somebody steals from a, from a, a person following Christ, what we call a Christian, they're stealing from God, aren't they? You know, not too long ago, we had somebody hack into the church checking account, uh, uh, some scammers, and the, the bank and Lori caught it. And then Lori said, who steals from a church? Right? Some people with a hard heart. And people that don't care about anybody but themselves. All right? And the Pharisees were right along those people. So, of course, Peter comes down and he says, back, on, uh, back in Matthew 15, Peter comes down and says, uh, uh, or the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, uh, I think you offended them. And Jesus says, he doesn't explain his, his offending them. He just says, well, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. Well, that's interesting. He meant to offend them. As the Pharisees would increase their opposition to Christ, uh, and his teaching, he would increase his accusations against them. You hypocrites, you false teachers, fake news. He didn't say that. Um, actors. But you know, as uh, we go on through Matthew, it's something Jesus said even, even later. It's called the seven woes in Matthew 23. He says, anybody you converted, Pharisee, to your Jewish religion is twice as much of a child as hell as you are. Wow. Even your converts, they called them proselytes, your converts are going to hell because you're leading them there. Jesus is really clear on that. It's called the seven woes. And then Christ shows his, his disciples these hypocrites are destined for judgment 
Again, in verse 13, every plant that my Holy Father has not planted will be rooted up. A few weeks ago, Roger did chapter 13 of this, the parable of the weeds and the wheat. And the weeds are right here next to the wheat. And you don't go pull them when they're small because you might get some of the good plant. You might get some of the wheat. You wait till they grow up. And the weeds look like this, and the wheat looks like this, so they're really easy to pull the weeds out of your yard, right? And Jesus said, I know who the weeds are, and they are not planted by my heavenly Father, and they will be destroyed. That's called judgment. And then he says here, let them alone. Now we look at that, well, let them alone. What does that mean in our context? That means, well, just don't talk to them anymore. No. This goes back to Hosea, the prophet. Let them alone means they are dead to you. Let them alone. He's telling the people of Gennesaret and his disciples, they are dead dead to me. And if you believe in me and follow me, they are dead to you as well. But what about discipleship program for the Pharisees? No. Their hearts are hard. We've all seen the movie The Ten Commandments where Pharaoh's heart is hard. Yul Brenner plays that, that character and his heart gets really hard and you're like, how could he do this? Or, or with Passover, how could Herod say, go kill every baby under two years old? How can somebody do that? because their hearts are hard and something we have to uh, be careful of. But the other thing Jesus said, and again, this is historical and contextual, if the blind leads the blind, they will fall into a pit. So the Pharisee slogan, if you will, their marketing campaign was, if you're blind and want to see, become a Pharisee. I just made that up. I'm a marketing guy. But if you're blind and you want to see, we will help you. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. The blind, you guys as teachers, are leading the blind. What happens when the blind leads the blind? He says it falls into a pit. And we think, well, of course, he's just going to stumble and fall. No, no. There was pits in the field, eight to ten feet deep, that went straight down. And they didn't go on an angle, so the animals couldn't go in there. And if they did go in, they couldn't come out. Animals are pretty smart. They see one of their buddies go in and can't come out, they're not going to do it. But what happens when you're a blind guide and you're walking through the field? You're walking and you don't know where you're going and these pits were all over the place. They were full of water for the animals to have, to, to have nourishment. And those blind guides would take their other blind people right into the pit. So Jesus was very clear. These guys understood exactly what was going on. Of course, then Peter comes up and says, uh, Jesus, uh, you got a minute? Can you, can you explain this parable to us? We think he's, we're saying blind, leading the blind. No, Peter, Peter knew all about that. He's talking about verse 11 where he says that not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of a mouth. Jesus understood, obviously, what he was saying. Peter was like, well, wait a minute. Peter gets hung up on eating. What am I eating? What am I supposed to drink? Ceremonially, he's a Jew. Jesus, I know I'm following you, but, but I don't understand that. What goes into the mouth, what, what, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of a mouth is what defiles a person. Peter wanted some explanation. And what does Christ do? Peter, where have you been the last two years? Are you not paying attention in class? Because Peter was just out there. And he says, are you, st also, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that what goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. All right? That's just the human system. We take, our body takes nourishment from it, and whatever's left goes out. And then he says, what comes out of the mouth, um, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defi defiles a person. Now, he was trying to tell Peter external traditions don't cut it. And let's think about it in our own context External traditions are pretty easy to follow. If I tell you, walk this way, don't do this, say this, don't say that, um, wear these clothes, and you'll be the perfect person, you can do that, but your heart's not in it. Okay, that's called a high school football team. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what happens is it's too easy to follow. A non-believer non can appear holy by following the rules, but have a wicked heart. God wants the heart. I think that's why he picked the apostles that he did, right? 
These guys weren't leaders. He didn't go to the Pharisees and say, give me your best. You know, he, he picked guys that were ordinary men that he wanted their heart. Now, again, whatever we eat does not go directly to the heart. It can only affect our physical being. Eating, smoking, drinking in excess, of course, can be bad, but it is not the spiritual sin that you think it is. Eternal practice will not cleanse a person from that sin. This right here is where it gets tough on me. In verse 18, this is where I live uh, and I struggle. Verse 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth sometimes when I'm frustrated, I just look in the mirror and I go, what the heck are you thinking? Because obviously it starts in here. And you guys do it too, but maybe, maybe not like I do it. But you look at someone, you ever drive in a car with somebody that's, that you go to church with and you're going to a ball game and somebody cuts them off their feet and all of a sudden here it comes, road rage, and you go, wow, I didn't know that was in there. It's the hardness of the heart. Now, we're not talking about Pharaoh-type hardness or Pharisee-type hardness or killing Jesus hardness. But this is a good check and balances. What is in your heart? For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. This is what Jesus is saying. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, lying, false witness which is lying, and slander. Jesus didn't leave a lot out. This is what defiles a person, not washing your hands. Now think about it. You just don't walk up and kill someone. You hate them in your heart first. On adultery, you just don't sleep with another person's spouse. You go up and have an emotional relationship first. Where does that emotional relationship come in? It comes from the heart. You don't just steal. You create a desire to covet what somebody else has in your heart. I want that. I'm willing to do anything, including steal, to get it. It starts in the heart. The same with lying, slander, and gossip. It starts in the heart. And now I am convicted. If you are convicted, the Scripture has done its job. If you are not convicted, go to the Lord in prayer until you see the desires of your heart. There are many of you I know that have the sweetest heart in the world, and it's still a, stum- it's still a stumbling block of what comes out of your mouth sometimes. One of the, one of the things, uh, Lori and I went to high school together, and we started dating at 15 years old, and people were just amazed. Why, why, why could this last? And we just celebrated 40 years of marriage, 45 years together. Her heart is so pure, the way she looks at people. She's not perfect, but the way she looks at people and the way she, she looks at a situation way different than me. I like it. What's that guy doing over there? As Jonathan knows, she was in discipline at Mishriyo High School. Not that you were there. I just knew you. Yeah, yeah. She was in the discipline office. And these guys would come in that were in trouble. And other people were like, oh, I got you. All right, we're going to send you to juvenile hall or we're going to kick you out. Saturday school. And Lori goes, hey, honey, what, what, are you okay? What would you do now? How can we help? That's the heart of Jesus. And, and she has taught me so much over the 45 years we've been together. She's still got some work to do. But the next part of this, by way of application, now what? Jesus is really clear in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want to see God. I'm not talking about eternal life. I'm going to see God in eternal life. I'm talking about here on earth. I want to be around people that know, love, and serve God. I want to see God. I want to be around people that are pure in heart. How do I get back there? Well, the Apostle Paul comes to the rescue. Be content. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says in in chapter 4, I am not speaking of being need. I have learned in whatever situation to be content. You know, there are people who live in multi-million dollar homes and have everything the world could possibly offer and they're not content. Paul was in jail and he writes a letter and he said, 
I know what it is, whatever the situation, to be content. Can we do that? Paul also says in the same book in chapter, or in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, be at peace. You ever see somebody in a storm and they're just, things are falling down around them and, and the work, work is going, you know, everybody gets laid off and, this is, and they're just like, you know what? The Lord's got this. I'm good with that. The Lord's got this. And then next is give thanks, pray. In Ephesians, Paul says, give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, someone gets sick, I want to give thanks, Lord, that, that uh, you gave me the time. A friend of mine just texted me this morning, uh, one, of, one of his wife's who passed away a couple years ago, one of his wife's best friends died this morning. She had pancreatic cancer. And I said, praise be to God that she is now healed. And he said, that's right. My wife has a companion uh, to, to worship Jesus in heaven. He said, I am so thankful for that. Wow. And then the next one, be holy. This is where we get kind of confused. What does holy mean? It means dedication to God. See, Paul always was testing his holiness versus God. And to the church at Corinth, he writes in his letter, for I am the least of the apostles. And you're like, well, yeah. I mean, Paul, you know, rode to Damascus a few years in the wilderness. And then you're like, you know, starting churches. Corinth, Philippi, Ephesus. And Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. Do you know that was 25 years after he had started his ministry. He still, he wasn't beating himself up. He was just saying, compared to the other apostles and what they have accomplished, or the other apostles, what God used them for, or compared to God's holiness, I am the least of these. Too many of us want to say, look what I've done. It's not the name on the front of the jersey, it's the name on the back of the jersey, right? You've all heard that? Because look at me, that's my brand. And then to the church in Ephesus, he says, I am the least of all the saints. And to Timothy, he writes, I am the chief of sinners. He didn't say I was. He said, I am the chief sinner. So we need to be holy. The closer we walk with God, the more conscious we are of our internal corruption. We must understand the goal of what Paul writes to the Galatians. One of my favorite verses. I've been crucified with Christ but I no longer live because Christ lives in me. And then finally, the last one, strive for a clean heart. Psalm 51, we all know this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Psalm 51.10. He wrote this, David did, after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah. David's always been called a man after God's own heart. And then he commits adultery with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. He kills her husband. He says, hey, we're good. And then that baby dies. And Nathan, who God uses, the prophet, to hammer him and say, who do you think you are? And David gets on his knees. The baby dies. God takes the baby to heaven. And they have another child, Solomon. But what happens is David says, my heart is not right. Who can stand up on their, on their castle and look down and says, get me that? I mean, your heart's not in the right place. So he said, create in me a clean heart. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. But David is repentant. We must be repentant also. Repentant does not mean I'm sorry. It means, Lord, I will turn away and go the other way. So in closing, after Jesus changes your heart, your character will be changed from inside out. We must die to ourselves and walk in the Spirit daily. And we have this wonderful assurance that He will finish the work He started in us. In Ephesians um, 2, 8 through 10, Paul writes, For grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so anyone can boast. In verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared us in advance to do, and that we should walk in them. Folks, we're going to fail. We're human. That's why we need a Savior, because we fail. 
But God made you and knows you. I pray that you make the desires of your heart the heart that God desires for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we so love your word. And from your, from your disciple, Matthew, you just, you just gave him the words and inspired these words to share what went on with the Pharisees. Lord, may the people of Foothills and the, the people of, of this community not be Pharisees, Lord. We're not legalistic. May we pray that everyone has the heart that you want. Um, Lord, your beatitude says it so plainly that you love us. And Lord, we, we want a clean heart and we want a renewed spirit. Lord, we give everything we have to you. And most importantly, when it starts in our heart, you can change us. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for this wonderful worship team and technical crew, Lord. The fact that we have live streaming is amazing, and I hope the people at home um, have heard and understand the words of Christ. We just ask for your blessing as we continue on. In your name we pray, amen. Now, before you guys start this song, I asked Jonathan uh, to a request, It Is Well. And it's, it's one of my favorite hymns. But I did a little research on that. It'll only take me a second. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer in Chicago in the 1870s. And if you know anything about history, he owned a lot of land uh, and a lot of buildings in downtown Chicago. And in 1871, the great Chicago fire happened. He lost his four-year-old son in the fire. And because everything burned down, he was highly leveraged. He went bankrupt. And by 1873, he needed financing. So the people in Europe said, we can give you financing, but we want to come talk to you. So he decided to take the rest of his family, still grieving over his four-year-old son. His wife and four daughters and him boarded a ship. Some people in Chicago said, wait, can you wait a week because we got some zoning situations going on some new buildings you want to build and get your fortune back. And he said, okay, I'll follow you guys in a week. And he sent the kids off with the wife. There was a collision in the middle of the Atlantic with two ships, and the ship sank. His four daughters died. His wife sends him a telegram and says, saved alone. All five kids gone within two years. So what Horatio does is jumps on another ship to go be with his wife, and it takes the same route along the Atlantic. And when he goes, he goes by the, the wreck site of the sunken ship. He writes this poem. It is well with my soul.